very adamant that I was like, no, I want you to hear the voices of these women. I want to take away whatever stigma you might have when you see an Asian face. Hey, and welcome back to today's episode of Not Your China Doll, the podcast featuring 25-year-old Asian American women who share their stories of growing up in 21st century America. Even though there's a connection between our race and our gender, our individual experiences are what make each episode so different. My name is Samantha Chan, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining me for the final episode of Not Your China Doll. For today's segment, I'm switching things up a little bit, and I've brought back a familiar friend. Uh, You might recognize her as Emma from the very first episode, but today... I'm not going to be the one asking her the questions. She's going to be asking me the questions. You guys have listened to me pry into my friends' lives throughout this podcast, but I also feel like I haven't given everyone a chance to get to know me. When I first started this project, one of the most common questions that people asked me was whether or not I was going to share my own story. And I'm not going to lie, I really didn't want to. But as I edited and listened to each episode over and over again, I realized that I asked my friends to do something really challenging. They had to share important memories, relive traumatic experiences, and really reflect on their lives in ways that they might not have thought about before. And then, after all that, they still gave me the creative license to take their stories and frame it into what I thought was a compelling episode. I asked a lot of these women, and I'm really grateful for what they've done. Throughout this series, I've been adamant about my belief that everyone's story can be interesting, even if they themselves don't find it worth telling someone about. Even so, I had the same struggle in crafting my own episode. But I felt it was only right to challenge myself to do exactly that and share my story. And let me tell ya, it was difficult. To have to listen to hours and hours of my own voice was really embarrassing and cringeworthy. Um, But, you know, I really hope you guys like what I've come up with. So you mentioned in your welcome that you feel like you're less a a full-time grad student and more a full-time server. Is that your main job here in D.C.? Uh, I have have a lot of jobs, actually. Yeah? (laughs) So I serve part-time currently in a restaurant in D.C., in Georgetown. And um, I also work for my university's writing center. And I also TA for a class. Um, And then I also, I work for a test prep company called Mm -hmm. Kaplan. So it it kind of seems like your schedule is incredibly (laughs) jam-packed um so i'm kind of assuming you like to keep busy i do yeah um has it always been that way yeah i feel like i get a lot more stuff done when i know like this is the next step this is the next step when i'm not jam-packed i don't know what i'm doing is that is that kind of like how your childhood went did you like as a kid did you do a lot of extracurriculars and kind of i did Keep your day um, packed? Yeah, my mom kept it packed. Every, I mean, you know, I had the normal school day, but on the weekends, Saturday mornings, I know were always brutal. Wake up in the morning, drive 30 minutes to get to art class. Mm-hmm. I 
did piano lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been taking SAT classes since I was like in seventh grade. Yeah. Swimming. Right. Yeah, my mom made us do everything. I didn't do poorly in school. And when I first started these tutoring things, it was because my mom was like, well, you're in the average classes now. She's like, and you're not having, it's not like I was having trouble with my classes. She just wanted me to have extra homework. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds very Asian. Asian. (laughs) Um, Definitely something that I can relate to. But my parents never pressured me to be like, you have to do well. Yeah. Like my mom always said, I'm putting you in art class, I'm putting you in piano lessons because I want you to have another option, to always have an option. So that if something doesn't work out, you don't have a job, you can always just hold private piano lessons at your house and make $50 an hour, Mm -hmm. like something, Mm -hmm. so that you have some set set of skills. I see. Um, So she set you up to be a survivor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Was the motivation from within, or do you think, like, it was, I mean, obviously influenced by your mom, but do you think that that it came from within as well? Um, my parents always wanted us to have the best life possible. Yeah. Um, that's the reason why they work so hard. Yeah. Um, they weren't always financially able to send us to private schools. Right. Um... And you know, I didn't grow up like how I live now, you know. When I was younger, I went to I went to a public school for most of my life. I only went to a private school for for my last 4 years for just for high school. Right. Um I remember we used to live in a one bedroom apartment for all 5 of us. Right. So we weren't always well off. But I I didn't realize how important it was to them until I got into the school. Um it's a pretty elite school in Baltimore. They have a really high rate of the, the girls graduating, going to Ivy Leagues, or just, you know, really top liberal arts schools. Yeah. And my parents knew that, like they knew that this was a good school. Right. We actually weren't sure if I would actually make it in. Mm-hmm. So this is a high school that you have to apply to. You apply to, you have to take a test to get in. Right. But for the, the year that I went in for ninth grade, they only accepted 12 girls out of like the 70 that applied. Wow. And so like, you know, my mom was, I remember like sitting in the living room specifically, like, you know, I I found out I got in and I had to like put in my deposit. And my mom was actually, she's like, I don't know. Finances are really tight right now. This is a big sum of money for like one kid. But my, my dad was actually the one who convinced my mom. He was just like, I don't care how much it takes, how much it costs. She's like, she got in, like we're sending her. Um, and that's when I knew that it was really important to them that like they would rather live less for themselves to like send me to a really good school. And it did help me. It yeah. did. And I appreciate them. Yeah. So you mentioned that your family didn't always have money when you were growing up. Yeah. Um, what do your parents do and like how did they get here? Uh, they, they run a sushi restaurant. Right. Um, but we're Chinese. A yeah. Lot of, a lot of people usually ask that. Like, oh, like, what so are, are you, you Japanese? What are you Chinese people doing, like, running a sushi restaurant? Right, right. Um, it's like, wow, I didn't know you knew the difference between us. <laughs> um, well, my mom knew, moved to London first from Hong Kong uh, when she was about 18 because she was going to secretary school. Wow. So, um, and then my dad decided to follow her to England. But it was around that time, like, 
you know, the 80s, early 80s and stuff like that when mm. there was a little bit of uh, trouble in Hong Kong right. um, because Hong Kong historically has been under um, English rule. Yeah. But, you know, around the 90s is when um, the, the handover, as they call it, of England handing over Hong Kong back to China happened. Right. And so the people who have who were at, in Hong Kong at the time are used to English rule. Hong Kong is a very cosmopolitan city, very English. So my mom's parents encouraged my mom to not come back because there was a fear that if she went back, she wouldn't be able to leave. Oh, um, okay. So my my dad's older sister was already in, in the States, in Maryland, in, right. in Baltimore specifically. And so, you know, they decided to just move here together. Yeah. But yeah, so then they came here and of course, didn't really know the language. And you know, they just kind of didn't really have any options, I think, when they came here, uh, right. when it comes to like the blue collar, white collar jobs. Yeah. So you hustle. Yeah. You get a job that no one wants to do and you do it. Yeah. So, you know, my parents started out as busing tables, yeah. as servers. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, like, because they're hard workers, their managers or whatever, they're like, I want to start a business with you. Right. So that's kind of how they got into it. They took a gamble. Um, 20 years ago, sushi was not as popular as, as it is now. Mm -hmm. They took a gamble and they, you know, put it in a location where they had a really cheap property. Mm -hmm. um, this was considered a dying location. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they were just like, we're gonna, we're gonna start a sushi restaurant here. Um, it kind of sounds like you were pretty busy as a kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, did you get a break on the weekend or like? I mean, on the weekends, like, or I worked a lot for my parents too as a kid. Yeah. And so, that was working with my parents at the restaurant. Yeah. Friday night, Saturday night. I didn't care that like all my friends were like, oh, we're having a party, or like, oh, it's like you know snowball, like or like a, a like a school dance or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd be like, oh, I can't buy tickets. I'm not going. It's the week. It's Friday or Saturday night. Like I have to work for my parents. Right. Um, but I, I I felt like I cared as a kid, but also I never felt resentful. I was like, mom, my mom's making me work. Yeah. Um, you know what? I might have missed out on a lot of parties and school dances and getting underage drinking, passed out drunk, but I didn't mind because I didn't get to see my parents a lot throughout the week when I was yeah. at school because we would wake up before they did because they came home so much later and we would be in bed. Um, our schedules just like didn't really match. Um, so the weekend was like family time, even though we were working, it was family time. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so like... Did you did you enjoy working with your family? Was it hard? Like, what kind of jobs did you guys do? I remember the very first day working um, there. Um, my mom was like, "I need a cashier tonight," right. and so I was like, "Oh," and I was like, "Mom, but you guys don't have like the like cashier computer thing yeah. where you can like type in the number and the, the register pops open." Yeah. Um, and I was like, "How am I supposed to like calculate?" Like, she's like, "I was like, I don't. I'm like, I'm nervous and stuff like that." She's like. I'm gonna teach you how you know you'll get a check for like 18.53, and you'll give them the like right amount if they give you a $20 bill. Yeah. And so the way that she taught me was like if it's 18.53, you take two pennies to make it 55, mm -hmm. and then two dimes to make it 75, and then a quarter 
to make it a, a whole number. So then it's $19. Right. And then you just give them an extra dollar to make it 20 So you count up from where you are. Oh, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so that's such a simple thing. It is. It makes but so most sense. people in their head, they're going to do like two zero point zero zero minus eighteen point fifty three, and then like oh, make the zero a ten, yeah. and then bring it down, and then okay, cross that out. That's a nine <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. That's exactly where I went in my mind because I think that's the way that public school education like. They train you that yeah, way. Yeah, but that's not how you survive. No, that's not how you survive. Yeah. Yeah. Ain't no time to pull out a calculator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, so. No, it's a, it's a survival skill um, to have. It's actually so much easier that way that I'm very shocked and surprised when I do give someone the wrong change. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Um, like, it, it, it sounds like, you know, even from a young age, you were worried about that fast pace, right? Like, and, and... I, I would say in the, the restaurant business is like a very fast paced kind of high pressure. I um, love it because by the end of the pressure, when it all like bottles up and releases, yeah, it's just like now I can relax. Yeah, but you didn't ever feel like it was maybe too much. Like also working with your family in that kind of environment. Yeah. I mean, in the end, it was fun. Of course, I'm sure we had arguments or. Even now when I go home for break and I like work a weekend for my mom or something right. like it, it It's stressful in the sense of like when they're like did you pack this yet? Did, wait, did you do this yet? And it's like mom I'm trying to like type this in on the computer right now <laughs> um, right. Nothing personal. It's always just in the moment more just like I can't multitask and you're asking me a question I'm trying to do this and if you tell me to do this, I'm gonna mess up <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, that's it's that kind of pressure, but not the like family explosion like well remember last week when you did that <laughs> Not like that kind of explosion. I see. Since since you're a surfer mm -hmm. um, now as well, like you, so you like this kind of job. I don't like the people because people are needy. Yeah. And just because you pay me twenty percent doesn't mean sometimes less doesn't mean that I'm your, your like monkey for the night and right. will perform tricks for you. But I love the energy. Right. I can't work in a slow restaurant. Right. I, that's why I can't do a nine to five office cubicle job. I will, I think I will tear my eyes out. Um, I did I did a nine to five office internship for two thirds of a summer. Right. And it was only Monday through Thursday. And it was a nonprofit. I'd never have been so happy to hear them be like, well, we need to cut down on some funds. Um, we, we're gonna cut our interns. I was like, hallelujah, thank God. Oh my God, get me out of this office. <laughs> I've never been so happy to be laid off. Yeah, yeah. So it, it sounds like, you know, your, your perspective work is physical, but, but you are, yourself are a very well-educated person. What kind of work do you think you would want to do that will kind of satisfy both the, both sides of you? I always wanted to be a lawyer. So like, I guess the intellectual side of having to weave around and like figure out evidence, manipulate it or sculpt it to, Spin the story. to fit your argument, right? right? Right. So that's the intellectual side, but also like 
going and like interrogating people, having that like drama and that stress in the courtroom, is this gonna work out right. kind of thing. Right. And I, I know that that's like, you know, a very like Olivia Pope kind of thing. It's not every case that you get on your table is gonna be dramatic. Right. And so when people ask me what kind of lawyer I wanna be, I say family law. It's not that I want to be part of someone else's family drama necessarily, but that's like, I think where I will be most heated and passionate about things and where I will feel like I am getting that physical drain as well as like intellectual stimulation. Right. Okay, so this whole project is really focused on the perspectives of Asian American women, mm -hmm. which I'm assuming means that their perspectives mean a lot to you. Yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. Um, who are your main role models or other women that you respect? I think in the end, I respect women who are down to earth mm -hmm. and genuine. Um, most recently, one of the women I most respect was actually my manager at um, my old job. Mm -hmm. um, she... What was your old job? Um, it was another serving job in yeah. D.C. Um, but this woman, like... She's a... She surprised me. Um, you know, she's beautiful, blonde, skinny, just gorgeous, right? She loves talking about farting and, like, shitting and, like, <laughs> like sex and just anything that, like, you wouldn't expect her to talk about. Yeah. Um, and I really respected her, one, because like she's such an understanding person. Um, right before you know, I, I quit my job there, I told her, I like, felt really bad and I told her, I was like, you know, if you need me, like, I'll, I'll be back, blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know, like, I love this place. She's like, it'll be hard without you and stuff like that. And she's like, and I would love if you would stay, but she's like, in the end, you have to think about yourself first. Yeah. And like, you know, she's always given me really good advice. Um, there was one time when, um, I had a long-term boyfriend, and we ended up, you know, not making it. We we just we broke it off. Um, but I would say like our breakup took a long, like it was a long, drawn-out process and yeah. stuff. You know, we were still like talking on and off and like all this other stuff and like you know, oh, should we try again? And there was one night when I think he finally was just like, I need to cut her out of my life because I, like he needs to move on from me. Um, and so like I noticed that he deleted me on like all social media and it's dumb. It's just snapchat. It's just Facebook um, It's not dumb. It has significance mm -hmm. so. But yeah, I just remember like I was crying like it was after work And then I like saw like that he deleted me off everything and it was just like it sucked. Yeah, like I was like, oh So I guess he's moving on. Yeah Um, and I wanted to move on first And then she came down and she saw me and she was just like, oh, are you okay? Blah 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 and like she told me like her story too um and you know she used to be in a long-term relationship with a guy and he broke her heart because he cheated on her and they were on and off and she was with this guy for so long that she was just like she was engaged to him yeah she was like i am going to be with this man i'm going to be unhappy but she was like i don't know if i'm going to find anyone else better and i don't know if i can get better until like, you know, she did find someone better and her and her husband and their baby now are so cute. She was just like, you just have to like love yourself and 
it will come along. She was like, I know it's so hard to see it, but she's like, it will, it will happen. Yeah. She was like, someone else will love you better. And I believed her. And like, whenever I think about my relationship with this guy, like, I want to have hope that, like, I will find someone better. Yeah. Someone who will treat me better. And you will. When, when did you guys start dating, you and this guy? Um, I met him when I was 16. Yeah. Like, officially probably started dating when I was 17. Yeah. Um, I was with him for six years. Um, up until I... Did you like him as soon as you met him? <laughs> we met at church. Yeah. During, like, a youth group game. Is he Chinese? Yes, he's also Chinese. Oh. But a lot of people think he's, like, Mexican because he's so dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Yeah, we met at church, and we were playing uh, Apples to Apples. I love that game. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I think one of the, the I was the judge like, for that round, and mm-hmm. I think the word was disgusting. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, people are putting out their cards, and I remember specifically the, 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 the noun card or whatever that he put out for disgusting was airplane food. And I picked his card because uh-huh. airplane food is disgusting. It is disgusting. And That's then I remember one. him making a comment. He looked at me and he was like, you got to know your audience. Um, ah. So, yeah. Um, and that's like, you know, I, I, that's when I noticed him. Yeah. Um, that is like a very smooth way of getting <laughs> noticed. I have to say. Yeah. Mad props. Okay. Um. And so, yeah, and then we, we started talking and everything, and, you know, we we weren't, we didn't have that, like, oh, we were friends forever phase. We, like, we met each other, we started talking, and we started dating. Yeah. So, it's a long time that you guys spent together. Mm-hmm. Um, why did it end? Um, he cheated on me. And I thought that I could be forgiving. And I, I, I was. And I thought that that would be a deal breaker thing. But when you spend so much time with someone, it's hard to have deal breakers. Yeah. Because there are so many deal makers yeah. as well in a relationship. Right. You know, we, we were talking about getting married at one point. The week before I I officially was like like we're done. We were like online looking at engagement rings. And that that fact wasn't lost on him when when I en- ended up ending it. It's not too late now for me. Yeah. I know that for some married couples who have a family, who have kids, who you know, have a life together, a house together, like, there's a lot more at stake. Yeah. And, you know, people have always asked me, how do you know he's not going to do it again? How do you know, like, blah, blah, blah. And, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I thought I had, I, I have faith that, I, I still believe that if we were together now and we ended up getting married or whatever, I 100% believe that he loves me enough that... And he knows that he hurt me enough that he wouldn't do it again. Yeah. And I know that. But I can't say that 
that's not damaging for a relationship. For me, for me to like feel not valued and like that I wasn't always good enough, that I maybe wasn't pretty enough or smart enough or whatever the case might be, like it's not a good feeling for myself. And so in the end, I had to be like, I'm happy when I'm with you, but when I'm not with you, if I'm still crying myself to sleep because you at some point like wanted to be with someone else like that doesn't make me feel good yeah so we tried to make it work Mm -hmm. but I just couldn't do it yeah like I'm a ride or die girl like when I love you I love you hard I care for you I'll feed you I'll cook for you I'll clean you for you whatever it doesn't matter and so when someone who I loved a lot when they betray you like it hurts it hurts a lot yeah so I had the great honor of being the first episode of this podcast and I want to know like what do you think you got from this experience um Maybe, maybe a little bit about why you wanted to do it in the first place. Okay. Um, what your experience has been doing it, and and what you what do you think you've got out, got out of this whole thing? Yeah. Um, multiple questions here. <laughs> so why I did this project? So this is a project to graduate for my master's. Yeah. I chose to do a podcast on Asian American people at first. Um, I wanted to do men and women. I eventually, for logistical reasons, but also just, um, you know, it's easiest for me to emotionally connect, I think, with women, um, to get them to tell me real stories and to get them to, like, really talk to me. Um, But... You know, so the reason why I wanted to do this project was because I just felt like there was there was a lack of representation of Asian American people in the media in general. Um, and I wanted to do, you know, some kind of, something that was like relevant to now. Mm-hmm. And podcasts seemed like the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a lot of a, a struggle, I would say, in the beginning because people would ask me, like, you know, my peers, um, you know, the department and stuff like that. They would just be like, why is this not a video series? I want to see these Asian American women. Right. Um, and I was very adamant that I was like, no, I want you to hear the voices of these women. I want to take away whatever stigma you might have, you as an whoever is watching might have when you see an Asian face. Right. If you see, say, a cute little Asian American girl, um, you know, dressed up or whatever, you you have a different assumption versus when you see an Asian American girl who's like, has an arm tat, mm-hmm. um, a sleeve tat yeah. or something like that. And, you know, there's other things. It's not just, like, I don't want them to judge a girl based off, like, oh, she's pretty, or, like, oh, she's not, or, like, she's so skinny, or, like, something like that. Mm -hmm. It was just, I don't want my fashion, what I choose to, how I choose to do my makeup, how I choose to do whatever, has nothing to, it has something, but has nothing to do with, like, 
who I am on the inside. Appearances matter, but what's inside matters more. And so I, I didn't want an instantaneous uh, judgment placed on these women. And I think the voices were important too because, I mean, you know, as as you listen to the the season, it's it's clear that all these women don't have accents. We we have traditional um, American like East East Coast kind of accents. You know, we're you know, um, and so if if the question of like you know, are you Korean, Chinese, or Japanese, or uh, like Filipina never came up, like you know. You might not have known yeah. that we are Can't Asian. Really tell. You yeah. can, and I think that was really important because I wanted people who are not Asian to also relate to these stories. Right. And I'm glad I stuck to that. Yeah. I'm glad I stuck to just voices. So, so what was your experience like with this throughout? project? Yeah, like, so, so you interviewed um, people you were close to, or I interviewed a lot more people than are unfortunately who will be actually featured in this season. Right. Um, sometimes it's just because um, this is new to me. Yeah. I have never done this before. I've never done audio editing before. I have never interviewed people before. Mm-hmm. So there was a large learning curve to that. And in the end, I did realize that the most interesting, dramatic, and raw stories came from the women who I was close with. And that's not unexpected because we're sharing deep shit in this in this podcast. Yeah. I pry. Yeah. And you got me crying. I see a girl cry <laughs> and I'm like, tell me why you're crying. <laughs> the process was difficult because there was a large learning curve, basically. Yeah. I kind of started out asking questions about like Oh, what's it like being an Asian American woman? Um, did you ever experience racism? And you know, people are gonna give you cliche answers. Yeah. But eventually, I was like, that's that actually wasn't at the heart of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the research that I was doing about Asian Americans, um, about like you know Asian American studies and everything, mm-hmm. it ended up kind of like clouding what I the the heart of what I thought my project was. Right. Um. And, you know, that that just created for a bad, bad episode, I think. Bad podcast. Yeah. So it took a lot of, like, tries and retries, interviews and re-interviews, driving back and forth from D.C. to Baltimore and Virginia to, like, you know, get people to, to, to interview with me and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's a one-woman show, you know? I carry around my little MacBook, mm-hmm. got my microphone with me, and we plopped down somewhere cozy and just talk yeah and i learned so much about people from this and how much like people endure and there's so much more than what you think there is to a person and i think the point of this project i guess is that get to know people for who they are like stereotypes true as they may be, only get you so far in knowing someone. Mm -hmm. I have the privilege of really intimately knowing these women that I interviewed because they're my friends. And they're like so, there's so much depth to them. Mm -hmm. 
And that's something that you can only experience when you actually get to know someone. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I'm exposing my friends, I guess. But, willingly, willingly, willingly. But this wouldn't have been interesting if I didn't. Yeah. And I guess it just really shows you the importance of, like, deeply understanding someone. And where the race part mm. of it comes in is, like, don't pigeon us as Asian American women as, as one or two things, you know? You know, I don't think people think we're all the same, but there's so much more. Yeah. And it's just not enough, there's not enough representation anywhere for us. Everything has a Western lens to it. And I mean, yeah, I, I just wanted this to really individually show, like, the beauty of these people. So, are, are, are there anything, any other lessons you feel like you've learned from, from this experience? I, I'm a pretty quick learner. Yeah. Um, this would have been a lot smoother of a process if I, you know, kind of took the advice of what some, like, my advisor and people were telling me was just, like, just get out there and start interviewing and start talking to people. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of, the way that I, I write as an English major is I do a lot of pre-writing. I do a lot of brainstorming and outlining and thinking. And in the end, like what I've realized now is that every interview turns out differently. Every episode sounds a little bit different because each person is different. Each person brings something different. They bring their own personality. If that person's talkative, like that is gonna go so much differently versus someone who's not talkative. And I can't prepare for that. So what I thought I was doing, which was like really prepping myself, I was just really like holding back. Right. Um, because it wasn't until like I like really got my like, you know, really started like running with it that I was like, okay, now I know what I'm doing. Now I'm honing my craft kind of thing. And that was, I think that was difficult, um, was figuring out and remembering what I wanted. Right. Um, and not letting like, making sure that this is, because this is a project that I need to graduate, making sure that like, okay, well I can't be scared by what like they're gonna say. Just do what I want it to be. Right. Um, and I would say that's like when I truly started to like enjoy this project again. Yeah. There was a time when like this project was like the bane of my existence. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to go and interview people. I hated opening my laptop to edit something. Yeah. Um, but eventually like once I think I got it, like I was like, okay, it's clear. Yeah. The, the fog has cleared and we're good. The sun is shining again. Yeah, we can, we can go forward and hopefully this will this will like actually be as good as I think it can be. I guarantee it will be. <laughs> so is this something that you could see yourself doing in the future? Yeah, when I started out grad school, I, I wanted to work for a production. I was like, I want to work for a production company. Yeah. Um, I love TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um, I love stories like storylines and everything. Um, I didn't necessarily think that I had the creativity in me to like be a story writer, like a TV show writer, Mm -hmm. but I just wanted to be part of the process. Like I love 
when things are messy and like you piece them together and it just like turns out to this like beautiful project. So yeah, now that I feel like I am like a little bit self-taught, mm-hmm. um, have some experience and know what I'm capable of without anyone teaching me, like, yeah, I think I could do something with this. Yeah. Do you think that your perspective has changed as a person who has done so much editing at this point? Oh, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm appreciative now. I appreciate so much, like, how much work goes into, like, and every, like, from something, like, as small as and short as a music video to, like, an entire TV series, like, through seven seasons of building a character. Um, I appreciate that so much more because, you know, it takes a lot of work and you can't plan it all out. You know, you could have in mind what you think a character would look like, but whoever's going to be the actor, like... If that person's a diva, it might not work out in that, like, logistically, like, they're like, you know what, I don't want to do that. And so you have to also be flexible and creative in that way. Right. And I think I just have such a great appreciation now for editing. What do you want your listeners to take away from this project? There's multiple things I wanted to take from this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be accomplished with every episode. It's not going to be accomplished with every listener. But I think that each person can take something away. Whether or not you're Asian, you're female, or you know you are an immigrant, come from an immigrant background, whatever your sexuality is, whatever you know class you're from, I think that there's something here that a lot of us, a lot of people, hopefully can relate to. That's something I want people to take away from it is that the universality of of us. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, another thing is like it is about in a really simplistic form like debunking stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I on my own can like take them away. Mm-hmm. I perpetuate some of those stereotypes on my own, mm-hmm. but it's also just showing the depth of each person and like not just you know profiling someone Mm -hmm. based off what they look like what they sound like what their job is where their family is from Um, but that you know there are multiple avenues and multiple ways that we got to be who we are today project would not have been possible without the English MA program at Georgetown University. Thank you for providing the graduate students with the opportunity to create a digitized work. Because of the diverse selection of courses and the vast knowledge of the department's professors, I was able to intersect my studies of critical race theory, Asian American studies, and creative journalism to create this podcast. I would also like to thank Faith Wang and Christina Cho for their beautiful artworks, as well as Trent Burns for the background music throughout this podcast. Your guys' talent has really added a little extra something-something to this project. Of course, this podcast would not be where it is now had it not been for the advice, support, understanding, and flexibility of Professor Christine So. Even though you were anxious about advising a capstone project and claimed to know nothing about editing podcasts, I felt absolutely supported by your guidance the entire way through. And this goes without saying, 
This project literally would not exist had it not been for the brave voices of the Asian American women featured in this podcast. I also want to credit the women who are interviewed but could not include here. I'm very open about the fact that there's a learning curve to being an interviewer, and my inexperience, along with the technical and audio difficulties of creating a podcast, ultimately led to my decision not to include these women in the finished product. Please check out their stories on the Not Your China Doll Extras playlist. Their stories, experiences, and perspectives inspire me to continue this project, perhaps into a second season. My hope is that, despite your race, gender, or sexuality, hopefully you found something thought-provoking in my story. <laughs> or maybe you found your own story similar to mine. Many times, we don't see our own lives as something interesting or worth telling someone about, but I believe otherwise. And so, if you liked this episode and this podcast, please share this project with your friends. I think it's time that Asian American women got their chance to share their stories. My name is Samantha Chan, and thank you so much for listening to Not Your China Doll.